Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Ah, oh my God. Why can't I do this? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I am so excited. I mean, this is this is really something else, folks. This is something that that the I think people in the Beatles world and like the Beatles realm of fandoms have been wanting and craving and hoping for for a long time. I think these things were long thought lost. We're gonna we're gonna find out more more information than I have off of the top of my head. But this is really astounding. This is something else. I mean, talk about Christmas coming early. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Rolling Stone reports the following. This is by Angie Mortuccio, maybe? I don't friggin' know. I'm sorry, Angie. Um, Coveted archives of Beatles roadie manager sorry coveted archives of beatles road manager mal evans will finally see the light of day i believe this is being broke this is being being uh broke by uh, uh rolling stone biography will be published in 2023 followed by his diaries and manuscripts the holy grail for beatles fans now is it the only holy grail for beatles fans no there's definitely more out there you know Carnival of Light is one of those things. Demos, all sorts of demos, demo recordings that have never seen the light of day. You'd imagine Paul McCartney's, you know, home home recorder. You know, he had like a like a tape deck full of stuff. And then there's the Lennon, the Lennon uh cassette diaries. Like he he would do these audio diaries to himself, one of which very publicly was leaked and it had him saying some really sort of Freudian stuff about his attraction to his mother or something. I don't know. Who knows what the the trip was? It was towards the end of his life in like 79 when he was talking about stuff like that, you know. Uh, But Lennon was really out there. He was always like kind of on a journey trying to figure out who he was and what his deal was, what his bag was, and and this and the other. But besides those things, you have Mal Evans' diary, which is such an important thing when you're trying to tell the story of the Beatles. Why is that? Why is it so important? Okay, let's take a look at it. We have to think about Mal Evans. Okay, so if you're a Ramones fan, Monty Melnick, who we had on the show, is essentially the Mal Evans equivalent for the Ramones, okay? He was there from the very, very beginning all the way to the end with the Ramones and beyond, you know? So he essentially, even though he doesn't like to call himself the fifth Ramon, he is the fifth Ramon. Some people call him Monty Ramon. And in that same way, Mal Evans is the sixth Beatle because you had a bunch of fifth Beatles. Uh, Billy Preston was a fifth Beatle. You had a bunch of different fifth Beatles, but George Martin was considered a fifth Beatle. These were musical collaborators with the Beatles that who were the who were said fifth Beatle. But, you know, besides... 
them, if you had to say who, well, who would be the sixth Beatle, it would be Mal Evans. This guy is as inner circle as it gets. He knew everything. You know how they say if these walls could talk? Well, Mal Evans was those walls. You know what I'm saying? Mal Evans were, was the walls. And boy, did he talk. He talked in his in his diaries. You know, matter of factly, like not like, you know, secretly clandestinely writing things down, just sort of documenting his 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 day, his day in the life, if you will. You know, and it just so happened that like he would just write down these things so matter of factly. And here's the, the key part here. Just like Monty's book uh, on the road with the Ramones, which you should go check out. It's available on Amazon. Make sure you get the bonus edition. Monty wants you to buy the bonus edition. Very important. But the um, just like on the road with the Ramones, Mal Evans' manuscripts and diary are going to give you this incredible point of view that's not coming from John Lennon, not coming from Paul McCartney, because at the end of the day, and it's the same with any band, every single person's opinion of something is going to be weighted in their favor or in their bias in some way, shape or form, which in turn sort of takes away maybe from getting a full picture appraisal. If you're a fan like me, if you are a consumer of an aficionado, whatever you want to, however you want to catalog yourself, however you want to describe yourself. If you're like me who pours over this material as from a historian perspective, because that's what I like to do with all, you know, my obsessions. I look at it from a historian perspective and that's how I sort of take things in on like this academic level. You're trying to glean information that might be the most accurate to reality. And, you you know, like I said, whatever Paul McCartney says, it's going to be weighted with a Paul McCartney slant. What makes Get Back so fascinating, and we're going to, you better keep your eyes peeled for part two of our review. I haven't watched part two yet. It's been very busy around the house. I will. It's three hours, man. It's a lot to, lot to watch. And I'm taking notes while I'm watching it. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. But, the difference between, say, Get Back and just Paul McCartney doing an interview is that the footage, the footage is the footage. And the footage is presented to us how the footage presents us, even if it's done through those filters. Remember, we talked about the filters. The first filter is that, you know, there's a camera watching the Beatles. So therefore, they're watching how they react. And then you have Peter Jackson, the editor, and you know, and then you have. You have Paul and Ringo and and uh, Yoko. So those are the three filters that that footage needs to get through. But that footage is still that footage. You know what I mean? Like nothing can like change what it is. You can change the editing a little bit, but what you're seeing happening in the picture is the honest appraisal of what's happening in that picture. It's a little bit different when you're talking to someone like Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr, or John Lennon or George Harrison about things from their perspective. Look at all of John Lennon's interviews and how they are slanted in a certain way. Some would argue that they're just brutally honest. Others would say that he spoke with great hyperbole or that he was very pedantic or that he was, you know, very flippant, flippant, flippant. And he was very flippant. You know, one minute he'd say something that was uh, raw and truthful and then followed up without an outrageous claim. Uh, you know, John Lennon once claimed that hell, uh, sorry, Ticket to Ride was technically the first heavy metal song because of the the musical structure was very reminiscent of heavy metal, I guess, in some way, shape, or form. The droning, the droning riff that drives the song was heavy metal, just slowed down a lot with like a slower tempo, 
tempo. So it's like Lennon would say all sorts of stuff. And then Paul, it's the same thing with Paul. Look at the anthology project, which was sort of helmed by, you know, Paul. Well, really by Apple and Paul and George and Ringo to an extent. Look at how they contextualized let it be and abbey road in the 90s oh let it be yeah we we flubbed and we realized that we were breaking up so we just wanted to have one more go at making a happy album they completely do not mention any of the stuff that happened with the the great the great alan klein civil war right that just ripped the beatles that that gave them their uh their their final uh, that 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 made Abbey Road the final curtain call that it would eventually be known as. You know what I mean? Uh, not curtain call. What do you call it? Uh, swan dive. Swan dive. I guess maybe something like that. So it, it's just like to find material like Mal Evans' diary is just so extraordinary, and the fact that the family is okay with it being released. You know, Mal. Mal was a fiercely loyal like roadie lackey supporter of the Beatles, fiercely protective of them. I mean, he saw, like I said, the walls could talk. I mean, he saw everything. He saw all the infidelity. He saw all the drug use. He saw every nasty argument. He saw all of it. And not, not that those things are like all necessarily like, like, like sinfully bad or something. They're just the realities of the Beatles being the Beatles, man. Like the Beatles were people and they did that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) Hey, what's up, Amy? How you doing? Right. Yeah, I was at a loss for words there. The swan song, not not the last curtain call. Well, I mean, I guess that both right that that both kind of that both kind of works. In any case, Mal Evans diary is like the holy grail because it's going to give a a perspective that may be weighted in various different Beatles favor, because as we said, he was a fiercely loyal kind of guy. But it's also going to give unbiased sort of perspectives on a variety of things, hopefully, assuming that, you know, and again, it's a I don't know if it's a diary or if it's diaries. I mean, again, he was with the Beatles for almost 10 years. So who knows? I mean, even longer, if you want to include the solo stuff. So it's like, who knows? He was there from 62, probably at about 74, 75, something like that, you know? Um, it, it's kind of, it maybe not 75, maybe that's too late. Maybe 74, 73, 74, something like that. Um, he was often credited for tea and sympathy on a lot of different Beatles albums, you know, uh, uh, solo Beatles albums, I should say. Let's, let's read on, let's read on here. Um, what you and the rest of the wall, you and the rest of the world have been watching get back. You've probably noticed the tall by be spectacled gentleman dressed in impeccable turtlenecks. This is Mal Evans, the Beatles road manager and longtime confident. That's the perfect way to describe him. He is a longtime confident who died just seven years after the footage was captured. They say died, but I mean, he was kind of murdered. He was kind of killed, but more on that in a minute. Decades later, he's finally getting his due with a biography set for 2023. Evans family teamed up with Beatles scholar and author Kenneth Womack. I'm not familiar with this guy for the biography, which will be published by HarperCollins Day Street Books imprint. The following year, they will release the Holy Grail for Beatles fans, his archives, which fans have been speculating about for years. The collection contains diaries. Okay, so it's diaries, not diary manuscripts, which include a manuscript for his Beatles book and more. 
He probably has all sorts of trinkets in there. The Beatles hired Evans as their road manager. Oh, I'm sorry. It was 63, but he knew them longer than that. It wasn't, he knew them back in, I think, 62 and continued working with them when they stopped touring through, he would continue to work with them at when they stopped three years later in 66. He was working on publishing the manuscripts himself with permission from the band. So he had permission from the band. So he was in contact with the band as late as January of 76 when he tragically died at the age of 40. You know, some might argue that he died by cop-out, if anybody knows what cop-out is. Uh, or sorry, death by cop, you know, uh, where you hold up a gun and then a police officer shoots you because, you know, they think you have a, a gun. Um, Evan's son, Gary, says, my dad meant the world to me in a statement. He was my hero. Before Jen joined, before Ken joined the project, I thought I knew the story of my dad. But what I knew was in monochrome. 15 months later, it's like The Wizard of Oz, dad's favorite film, because Ken has added so much color, so much light to his story. Ken has showed me that dad was the Beatles' greatest friend. He was lucky to meet them, but they had more good fortune with dad walking down the cavern steps for the first time. Um, okay, so that's the first one, right? That's the first one we're going to take a look at. And um, we're now what I want to look at is uh, this is an interesting blog that kind of talks about the importance this talks about the importance of mal evans his role in in the beatles sort of lives you know during you know during their time together as the beatles and uh, i think it just does a really good job of just sort of highlighting all of that so we're going to take a look at that real quick this is from the Elsewhere. Uh, this is from Elsewhere.co.nz. Okay, by a guy named Graham Reed from July 2nd, 2016, 2018. He says, we need to talk about Mal Evans in the Court of Kings. Ready? This is good. This is a good read. In January of 1976, when the four LA police were called to a disturbance in a motel. They were confronted by a huge semi-naked man who was angry, seemingly high and out of control and carrying what they took to be a firearm. When he wouldn't drop the weapon, an air rifle, as it happened, they shot him dead. And so ended the life of Mal Evans at just 40, a bit player, but always near the center of one of the greatest stories in popular music. When his ashes were posted back to his homeland, Britain, they went missing. Evans' longtime friend, John Lennon, apparently quipped, they should look in the dead letter office, which is a really sad sort of statement to come out of John Lennon. Like, what a thing to say. However, John Lennon was known for that sort of acerbic, acidic, you know, banter, especially around things that he had deep feelings about. When George quits the Beatles and throws everything into, you know, disarray, Lennon, without missing a beat, says, hey, let's just get Clapton. You know, of course, that's not how he felt inside. So I have to imagine I want to give Lennon the benefit of the doubt. You know, we know that Lennon could be monstrous. You know, all those guys sort of could take their turns. At, well, maybe Paul and John could really take it. George, too, man. I feel like the only one <laughs> I feel like the only one who's just a lovable dolt here is Ringo at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, Lennon could be monstrous in, in, in a variety of different ways. So, I mean, it's possible that he really 
said it so lackadaisically. Is that the right way to say that? Lackadaisically? But who friggin' knows, man? Who friggin' knows? Um, but yeah, I, it's so tragic. His ashes went missing. I really don't want to believe that Lenin said that. There was also, there was another nasty quote attributed to Lenin three years after, two years after his death, mind you, by a British comedian who said, who, uh, you know, acclaimed, who made a joke. He made a joke and then people thought this was an actual Lenin quote. He joked that uh, Ringo, when John Lennon was asked about uh, Ringo being the best drummer, being a good drummer, uh, John laughed and said, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles, which which wasn't even true. John never said that. They loved Ringo. They loved Ringo's drumming. You know, Um, we did a whole video about the importance of Ringo. Go check that out. It's on this channel. Um, Mal Evans was mostly invisible, but is always there in the Beatles story. He was there at the Cavern and on tours in Britain as fame was starting to hit them. When they first smoked marijuana with Bob Dylan at landmark shows like the Hollywood Bowl at the clubs, at clubs in their company, in the back, meaning like clubs, like nightclubs where they would hang out, uh, at like Swinging London in the 60s, which was like where the Beatles were, right? At clubs in their company, in background of many photos as the towering figure in horn-rimmed glasses, as the disoriented cross-channel swimmer and help. That's right, you can see this picture right here when they when he when he jumps out of the water. That's Mal Evans in help. And He was bundled off the plane in Manila after the band's alleged snubbing of the Philippines' first lady, Imelda Marcos. He had every reason to think that he might be arrested or killed by the furious police and said in tears to the band as he was led off the aircraft, tell Lil, his wife, I love her. True story, man. So one of the the two roughest, toughest times the Beatles have with touring and definitely part of like factors as to why the Beatles stopped touring were that what that incident in the Philippines where they didn't want to attend some sort of reception because they were tired uh, for the for the for the queen for the royalty and basically the entire country just like dropped out with the Beatles their security details left like things got really bad there was like riots that were happening and they had to leave they had to get back on the plane I don't think they were paid for their performances and yes he was called off the airplane while the Beatles were on. They're not nobody sure if they're going to get off. But then when when Mal was told to get up, like he might not come back alive. You know, they might kill him. He has no idea what's about to happen to him, that kind of thing. And the other time for the Beatles was in Memphis. And this is, I believe, after John Lennon made the comment that they were more popular than Jesus, something like that. Um Dave Lee says, I wonder if Mal really pointed the air rifle at the cops. I don't know, man. Actually, we're going to read that next. That's the next thing we're going to take a look at real quick. The ashes. Okay, so apparently, according to David Lee here as well, the ashes were lost, but then they were returned to Mal's family, thankfully. I did not know that. It makes me really happy to hear such a thing. Um, Evans was there for their final touring concert in San Francisco. What? No, that was in Chicago. Candlestick Park. Was Candlestick Park in San Francisco or Chicago? He remained uh, friends with them as they all retreated into the studio or their own nascent solo careers. I mean, he was on he was on salary with the Beatles for a a pittance, by the way. I mean, the Beatles were so rich and they never, never rewarded him with riches. And, you know, there's all sorts of like, you know, pettiness and nastiness on like Paul McCartney's part. Like supposedly like 
he stopped he like tried to sue the family for like selling you know handwritten lyrics you know what i mean stuff like that which i think is kind of a bummer um but at the same time we don't know a we don't know if if the family received any money from the beatles after mal was killed that's number one and number two we don't know the exact nature as to whether he was compensated for his writing efforts on songs like Sgt. Pepper and Fixing a Hole. You know, supposedly he was supposed to get a songwriting credit and that wasn't going to happen because of the Lennon-McCartney partnership and perhaps might have just gotten uh, uh, some buckaroonies like as a one-time thing for his contributions. We can see him in Get Back, you know, sort of helping Paul with lyric stuff for the long and winding road. So we know that, that, you know, Paul liked, you know, it was Paul was good to keep Mal around. You know, he was like the perfect, he's like the greatest roadie who ever lived, basically. Bottom line. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Dave, oh, David knows his stuff. That's right. George gave his family 5,000 pounds, which, by the way, in 1976, when, you know, George wasn't, they all ended up okay but the, you know there were some rough times in the in the 70s for the beatles and 5000 pounds was a lot of money was a lot of money to give to give over that was like you know i don't know that was that must have been like 60 or 70000 dollars right back then that, that was a lot of money but it didn't come who knows what paul you know we know that george contributed maybe paul did too you know, I don't know. You know what it is? It's like the idea that if Paul didn't, that would just be so like unbe- unforgivable to me, like such like a, a poor, poor taste sort of thing from Paul to not do something like that. I don't know. I, I just I feel like he must have done something for them privately. And then when they tried to sell lyrics, he got mad. Plus, you know, there was the whole thing. He lost the songs. You know, he was always Paul was always, you know, trying to buy up little scraps of paper with lyrics on them and stuff, you know, because what they, they would just discard the stuff in the studio, not thinking anything about it, not understanding if these handwritten Beatles lyrics were like, you know, archival treasures that would be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars later. You know, even the, the drawing that Julian did that inspired John Lennon to, to write the song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds went for, you know, six figures, something like that. I mean, this stuff is worth a lot of money. So, yeah, he was there. He was friends with them as they retreated into the studio for their own nascent solo careers, helped co- uh, collate the images for the Sgt. Pepper cover. That's right. He was the gopher that went around, helped them getting the, the Sgt. Pepper cover together. He appeared in Magical Mystery Tour as one of the mu- uh, magicians. He sang gang vocals on Yellow Submarine and What's New Mary Jane, which was a, an outtake for the White Album sessions. It was one of the many demos that they did at George's studio when they brought songs back from India in, in 1968. Um, he plays sometimes on sessions within the limits of his abilities. Um, he was with them in Rishikesh with the Maharishi. Uh, he contributed sounds and background singing to the wide album sessions. Uh, he even, you know, room, they say flatted with McCartney, which means flat. That's like a, like an apartment. He, he roomed, he was Paul McCartney's roommate for a while. He was on the roof of Apple for their final brief live appearance. Now the other guy in the picture here, the other six beetle is Neil Aspinall, who also happens to be the father of Pete Best's brother, uh, rogue best, because he had, uh, an affair with Mona Best. I believe while she was still with 
Pete's husband. I mean, he literally banged his friend's mom. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. Um, but he's the only other one with the same kind of perspective Neil was. And he passed away in 2008. He passed away. Um, so he was on the roof. So Neil, no, uh, sorry. Uh, Mal was on the roof, was on the rooftop. He was the only member of the inner sanctum present when McCartney married Linda Eastman and went with Lennon star Clapton, Klaus Foreman and drummer Alan White to Toronto for the rock and roll revival concert. The band's set captured on live piece in Toronto. He was everywhere, but mostly just out of frame. Yet Mal Evans always stood out in the crowd. He was almost two meters tall and was there with the Beatles before the beginning. He was a 26-year-old telephone engineer married to Lily with a child in early 1962. I guess the child was Gary, right? Um, when he first saw them playing at the Cavern in Liverpool. And although he was an Elvis fan, he was immediately taken with them now remember too the cavern is where you know the cavern club in in liverpool is this iconic place which was since remodeled since the original cavern club with a with a crazy dome you know underground sort of like um cellar vibe and you know that's where the beatles really sort of you know if they cut their teeth um developing their musical chemistry in hamburg they then cut their teeth developing a the beginnings of what would be their their home fan base at the Cavern Club performing there all the time, you know, um, lunchtime sets, just all sorts of stuff. So that's where that's where Mal comes into the picture. Uh, they became friends even to the point, And as Mark Lewinson notes in The Beatles, All These Years, Volume One, Mark Lewinson is the godfather of Beatles historians. This guy, hands down, is just he probably understands the Beatles and the Beatles history better than anyone. He's more researched than anyone. And he's also the only guy, one of the only guys who got to listen to every single Beatles tape, like recording from the Beatles, you know, vaults. He got to listen to all of it, all the takes, everything. He listened to everything the Beatles ever recorded in the studio and cataloged it in the complete Beatles, which is an incredible, incredible book that you should check out if you have not done so. Um, so he says, he says um, that, that, that they would, that after they became friends at the Cavern Club, you know, Mal would, would, would announce songs, you know, um, and they, oh no, sorry, sorry, not Mal wouldn't, wouldn't announce the songs. The, the Beatles got to know Mal so well at the Cavern Club, they started to announce some songs with a play on his name. This one's for Malcontent. This one's for Malfunctioning, meaning they would announce a song and then dedicate it to Mal and then sort of doing a little alliteration on his name. He became a doorman at the Cavern on Harrison's suggestion. And in the middle of the year, when it was apparent that the Beatles were needing some buffer between themselves and their increasingly excitably fans, uh, Harrison suggested a new career to Evans, apparently saying you're... You're big and you're ugly enough. You're big and you're ugly enough. Why don't you get a job as a bouncer? Then you can get paid, get into the band room and meet the bands. From that point on, he was a part of the band's increasing inner circle, but invaluable as their bodyguard, come roadie, come sound man, come general fact factotum. So he was also the sound man too. I mean, just an absolute like integral part of, 
to their 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 operation. <laughs> Rue is at Rue is at work right now listening listening to us talk about the Beatles. I mean, it really is really is something else. Um <laughs> so so from that point, right. So the roller coaster ride lasted right up until the notorious Alan Klein arrived at Apple to cut costs and cut staff. Evans was out. So remember we talked about the as we've talked about many times. I mean, we might have to do a whole video just about Alan Klein and what happened with him. But Alan Klein comes into Apple. He sees that they are Oh, you like the <laughs> you guys like the impressions. They're terrible. They're not they're not even good. They're not even good Beatles impressions. If you really want to hear a northern accent, Liverpoolian accent, you gotta to listen to the Zombina and the Skeletons episode on this channel because they're from Liverpool and they really talk well with that accent. And we even have some fun trying to do Beatles accents together. No, I tried to do different uh, English accents for them. It was a lot of fun. I love Zombina and the Skeletons. Check them out. If you have never listened to Zombina and the Skeletons, they're also from Liverpool. We, we briefly spoke about the Beatles uh, when, when I had them on the show. But yeah, but Alan Klein, as we said, he was the manager for the Rolling Stones. Terrible dude, a crook, yada, yada, yada. Apple is hemorrhaging money. He comes in to cut costs. What does he do? He axes Mal. He sees Mal, and Mal's getting paid 38 pounds a week. In 1969, that's all he's making. He's asked for a raise. He gets 38 pounds a week, which is nothing. He's supporting a family of two who he never saw. Sorry, uh, two children and a wife who he never saw because he was always like, he was always, always with the Beatles. He was like, he truly was a squire to their knighthood. You know what I mean? <laughs> So the roller coaster ride lasted right up until the notorious Alan Klein arrived at Apple to cut costs and call staff. Evans was out, but he had also been involved in the music end of the spectrum, and that continued for a while. Evans was the man who had brought a band called the Ivies to Apple. You may have heard of the Ivies. They changed their name to Badfinger. Uh, so when you're watching the end of Breaking Bad, that song, uh, something, My my Blue, what is it? Um Guess I got what I deserve. You know, um, my little blue or something. That is by Badfinger. And produced their hit, No Matter What. No matter what you are. That, that they were considered to be the next Beatles, Badfinger. And Paul McCartney gave them songs like Come and Get It. If you want it, here it is. Come and get it. But you better come and get it. Da, da, da. That was a Paul McCartney song that was given to Badfinger. But it was Evans who brought them into the fold. He also discovered Splinter, who made albums for George Harrison's Dark Horse label. He co-wrote You and Me, Babe with Harrison, which appeared on Ringo's best-selling self-titled album of 1973. So... He's co-writing songs with the Beatles after the breakup. I mean, and I don't know what money. It sounded like he was in real squalor at the end. But I mean, you got to imagine some kind of money came in for that. He remained good friends with all the former Beatles, was always spoken of, uh, was always spoken of a quiet and decent man and sometimes endured a remarkable life in the eye of the hurricane. 
but when he, but 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 when he after so sorry let me take that again but when after he and lil separated in 1973 he seemed increasingly adrift his life more shapeless than it had been when he was always on call there was a book deal and he seemed to be making decent progress on his autobiography and he did a few radio interviews in the closing months of his life also i think i listened to one of those you can find them on youtube um, but are they going to be as revealing? I mean, people that he was starting to go to like the first Beatles conventions had started. He was starting to go to like Beatles conventions and people were, he was starting to like get his own fan, fans of his own in today's day and age of social media. Mal Evans would be eating for the rest of his life off of those 10 years. I mean, he would never have to worry about another thing again. He would have his own Patreon and just doing videos about behind the scenes life with the Beatles. I mean, he would be making a friggin' killing. He would have had that book. I guarantee you after this biography comes out, they are absolutely going to do a, a, a biopic on his life. I, I really would. I feel like that's the best way to tackle a Beatles thing. You're never going to ever be able to properly recreate all of the events in the Beatles life. So the best way to do a Beatles biopic is that you have to approach it from the point of view of somebody who was there. And there's another book, Jeffrey Emmerich, he wrote a book called Here, There and Everywhere, which contains a lot of inaccuracies and a lot of people who are kind of like, you know, think that his memory isn't 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 that great, wishy-washy. But as a narrative read, it is absolutely fascinating. And if you are obsessed with recording, like music recording and stuff and the history of music recording and the pioneering of all these different techniques, you absolutely have to read Here, There and Everywhere by Jeffrey Emmerich, who was the engineer, another guy who was just in, in the room when magic was being made. And he was there from, I think six, he was there from please, please me all the way up until Abbey road. And he helped John Lennon and Paul McCartney he helped these guys come up with all this crazy sort of stuff for recording. And, um, I always imagine that being a great biopic too. Like we're seeing this great story from someone who's maybe more ordinary or common man, every man. I feel like it's the only way you could properly tell the Beatles story. And so uh, I, I just really, really, really think I hope that, you know, like maybe Netflix will pick it up and like they'll make like a biopic of of Mal Evans story. That would be really great, man. I, I would love it. Who would play him? I don't know. I don't know that we'd have to figure that out. Um, so he was doing a few radio interviews in the closing months of his life as well. But the L.A. lifestyle, the separation, bad ways and hard times conspired against the gentle giant from Liverpool. Mind you, this is also right around the time, you know, very soon Lennon finds his way out to L.A. for pretty much all of 74. It's Lennon. Ringo, sometimes Paul, sometimes George, Keith Moon, Harry Nilsson, uh, Alice Cooper. They call themselves the Hollywood vampires. And this is what's known as John's Lost Weekend when you get drunk on Brandy Alexander's, which is brandy and milk. That was John Lennon's favorite drink of choice. And he had a, a girlfriend because he had split up from Yoko. He had a girlfriend named Mae Pang, who was also very, very inner circle in, 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 the, in the mythology of Lennon. Lennon's mythology from 1970 to 1975. May Pang is basically his constant companion, uh, an assistant for hit, for John and Yoko. And it's Yoko who says to May Pang, go off and be with John, you know, while we're splitting up and trying to figure, figure this stuff out. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> Amy says she's in study hall listening in. I'd rather listen to Beatles history. So great. That's right, Amy. That's right. That's awesome, Amy. I love that. Love that. Friggin' being in study hall listening to a dude on the internet talk about the Beatles. Um, 
So some of his silent footage, as well as his Beatles friends, sorry, some of his silent footage, as well as his Beatles friends he was attached to filming have appeared on YouTube. So some of it has come out. Um, 300 years before Mal Evans was gunned down, the poet John Milton wrote some lines often quoted out of their religious context, but no less pithy and apposite. Mal Evans was a busy man for more than a decade in the palace of the erect of the elect. Sorry, let me say, take that again. Mal Evans was a busy man for more than a decade in the palace of the elect. So maybe these lines don't fit. But when you think of how he was always there in the room or just outside the door, ready and willing to do the emperor's bidding, they do seem oddly appropriate. They also serve. This is the quote from John Milton. They also serve who only stand and wait. Hmm. Great read. Uh, okay, here's one of the, this is Paul and Mal's photos in Tokyo 66. Uh, that that was a f stupendous read. So that was from this elsewhere. It's a blog. It's some kind of blog. And uh, it's by this guy, Graham Reed. Just, just fantastic. And then there's one last thing we're going to look at in order to be like super complete about the life of Mal Evans as the sixth Beatle, right? I think we need to look at his tragic death because um, it's something that people, like when I first read about Mal's death, I was shocked. Like I was like, oh my God, that's how he died. And like, I just couldn't imagine somebody who seemed so sweet and gentle because that's what you think of him, uh, dying in such a tragic, terrible way. Like, I mean, just... Just absolutely uh, abysmally horrible. So this is from Far Out Magazine, and it's by Tom Taylor, uh, published uh, today. It's published today on Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Um, for seven years, Mal Evans was the road manager for the Beatles from 1963 to 1970 as they assailed musical heights that have never been matched ensuring that the most famous outfit in history ran smoothly with was no easy task but evans achieved it with such breezy aplomb wow what a word look at this word let's take a wow looking this up sorry dagger hey dagger how you doing man are you feeling how you feeling you feeling better hope hope you're doing well that dagger wasn't feeling too good um hold on one second let's look this up Look up aplomb. Ah, sorry. One more time. Aplomb. Aplomb. Oh, it's it's okay. So the B is silent. Aplomb is self-confidence or assurance, especially when in a demanding situation. Love that word. With such breezy aplomb that he had enough time to form such a strong bond with the band that you will have no doubt. And you will uh with that. Blah, 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 blah. But Evans achieved it with such breezy aplomb that he had enough time to form such a strong bond with that band that you will have no doubt seen him floating around uh, scenes in the latest Peter Jackson documentary, Get Back the Beatles. But I think the best scene so far that I've seen in the first part is you see Mal Evans' dedication and interest when he is charged with banging an actual anvil. Paul McCartney, they're trying to do Maxwell's Silver Hammer, and he said, Paul says, let's get a Mal let's get an actual anvil and use it to bang down for the sound which is just so great and you see them rehearsing it and it's just it's phenomenal okay dagger's almost at a hundred percent that makes me happy i'm glad to hear that 
Um, and you know, every time that 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 bang comes down, clang clang. That's Mal. That's Mal Evans, man. Mal Evans. If you listen to a day in the life and you hear them counting out that that middle eight section one, two, like during the what's known as the orgasm of of, of sound, the, the 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 pianos when you're going one, two, three, four. He's supposed to count out to to a count of eight. That's Mal Evans doing that. Um, tragically, however, six years after the Fab Four parted ways, strange circumstances led to Evans's death in a tragic turn prior to the Beatles Evans had worked we already we know this blah 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 he was a telephone engineer uh and he was a bouncer at the Cavern Club and that's where he met the lads uh in tandem with Neil Aspinall Evans became a central figure in the management of the band and his jovial approach helped keep things on an even keel when they could otherwise turn hairy it was also a relationship that ran both ways during his time with the history-making band Evans also picked up a few musical tips and he eventually remained in the industry after their split as a record producer. In fact, he even scored the, as we talked about the top 10 hit with bad figure, no matter what you are. You know it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it was also, uh, blah, blah, blah. however, by 1976, Evans' career was on the slide, and as a result, so was his mental health. He had been set to produce Keith Moon's solo record, but after the Manic Star pulled out, interesting, because yeah, Moon was making, I think he did. I think Keith Moon, Keith Moon always wanted to be a singer. He died in 78. Um, he would die two years later. Um, he always wanted to, to be a singer. He always sneaking in on Who sessions trying to sing. Uh, so, so Mal Evans was going to produce that, and obviously they would have bonded and gotten tight again, at least in 1974 during the the Lost Weekend. Um, I would imagine, at least. Um, Evans' escape from obscurity was severed, and he found himself. Sorry, sorry. So he pulled out, and Evans' escape from obscurity. So the the the, the Keith Moon solo record was going to really launch. He thought it was going to launch his career. I'm sure it would have. Um, but it was severed, and he found himself in a desperate, a despairing state. At the time, he was also working on a Beatles memoir, Living the Beatles Legend, with co-writer John uh, Horney? Herney? I don't know. On the morning of January 5th, Evans was so sullen that his girlfriend, Fran Hughes, phoned uh, Herney, I don't know how to pronounce that, and asked him to come to the apartment in the hopes that he could be talked out of his slump. Uh, the author arrived to find Evan... Evans really doped up and groggy. Things took a turn for the worse when Evans became agitated and brandished what turned out to be an air rifle. The author, Horny, whatever his name is, I'm just going to call him Horny, I think. Horny, Horny works. Horny phoned the police and tried to get them to defuse the hostile situation, informing them that Evans was on Valium and wafting a rifle around in a state of confusion. When they arrived, Evans began pointing the air rifle at them and refused to lower his weapon. So it really does sound like what is known as death by cop or a cop out. He he was looking, he was depressed, he wanted to end it all and he did it with a with a, with an airsoft rifle. So so fucking tragic. The police at this stage were apparently unaware that it was merely an air rifle and they opened fire on Evans after a standoff. Six shots were fired and four of them struck and killed Evans. The same number of shots that would strike John Lennon for four or five years later, 
four and a half years later. Whilst number the no, it'll be four or five. No, it'll be five years. About five years, right? December, December eighty. That's almost to eighty one. It's five years. Whilst none of the former Beatles attended his funeral, we don't. Uh, that's another thing too. They say they didn't, they didn't attend the funeral, but you'd imagine. Here's again. I don't want to defend the Beatles because the Beatles have done some dickish things. They they've definitely they were they they were dickish to Pete Best. I mean they did a, they've done some stuff. They've done their share of things over the years. However. And I saw this online. You would imagine that the four Beatles being in the same place post breakup amidst, you know, years and years and years, six years of reunion rumors might either a detract from the death of Mal Evans or his funeral or just a bunch of things. Um, So they could at least hide behind that excuse, whether it's true or not. Uh, Harry Nilsson, however, George Martin Harry Nilsson and Neil Aspinall were in attendance and George Harrison arranged a payment of $5,000 as a bereavement offering as Evans had no life insurance. And we talked about how much money that was back in the 70s, probably probably $50,000, $60,000, something like that. In the intervening years, several personal items have fortunately been recovered and auctioned by his estate helping to usurp his dark, tragic end with the memory of a colorful life he lived before. He may not have been fundamental to the Beatles, but his cheery disposition certainly echoes in their ovar, ovar, oh man. Um, And sometimes it is even more than an echo. As Benmont Tench once said, I love Mal Evans holding one note down on You Won't See Me from Rubber Soul. So I guess... They needed him just to hold one note for something because that's what Mal was, man. He would just like, oh, Mal, come here. Do this thing real quick. We're all busy with holding our instruments. Come here. Bang this an- anvil. Hold down this one note for you won't see me, you know? And I guess some, you know, little little excerpts of his diaries have leaked out. That's how we found out, you know, it was a great revelation some time ago. We found out that Mal Evans had possibly written or indeed did write or co-write fixing a hole and sergeant pepper's only hearts club band you know what i'm saying so it's like little snippets have come out but the whole kit and caboodle has never seen the light of day this is huge huge it's a really big deal uh but i guess there's some excerpts here even on youtube look at that four minutes it seems to be like an audio version of his diary that's really really cool so we'll see what happens we'll see how it how it comes out what what comes out um jody i love everybody in this chat this stream has told us what they are doing while they're listening which i do appreciate i'm not saying i'm, I'm not complaining here i'm just uh noting i find that funny um so we've arrived at the end of the show i'd like to talk to you about our sponsor that's right we are now sponsored officially do you need stickers do you have some sort of artistic project are you a filmmaker are you a musician you know do you have some kind of business if you need stickers you need to check out riotstickers.com that's what the from his channel is now powered by we are powered by riot stickers and we are running a special partnership promotional deal with riotstickers.com for the next six months when you use the promo code from you can get 53 inch by three inch. It's like a square three inch by three inch uh, stickers, um, vinyl stickers from riotstickers.com for twenty nine fifty. 
That's 50% off. So it's normally it's $59 for 50 stickers, which is also a really good deal, but you are not going to find a better deal. $29.50 for 50 three by three stickers. And that's at ridestickers.com with the, uh, with the promo code from us. 50% off. And if you go down into the description of this video, you will see uh, the promotional deal. All the information I just said, you will see down there. I know a lot of people that have used Riot Stickers. I personally, myself, have worked with Riot Stickers in the past, many years ago. And I stand by their business and their product. And um, Josh, who runs RiotStickers.com, he's a great guy. And so that's what I'm saying. If you want to, if you need stickers, you should definitely take a, take this deal up. You know, if you like die cut stickers too, which are like the stickers where they have, um, what's it called? Uh, blah, 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 like like a shape, like a very customizable shape. You can get those for $34.50. I mean, that is, again, 50 of those for $34.50. You're not going to beat that friggin' deal. Um, hey, Crazy White Boy is telling us what he's doing too. He's cleaning He's cleaning with <laughs> he's cleaning with us while he's uh, while he's watching. So, guys, I mean, if you need stickers, please go check out riotstickers.com. Uh, very important thing to do. And just so you can see what they are all about. Riot stickers, we are the bomb. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, so that's another episode. I recently shot a feature-length film. If you are a Patreon, you'll be able to see that on Sunday. It is, uh, it's something. It's definitely something. Um, I wrote a whole thing about how we did that, and it was quite an achievement and I'm very grateful to have done it. And that's going to be at the Sick and Wrong Film Festival, 72-hour debacle, which will be streaming on Saturday as well. But it will be deleted immediately after it streams. So if you miss it, but you're a Patreon, you can catch that film, or at least that version of the film, uh, only available on Patreon. Eventually, it will premiere on YouTube once we sort of, uh, we're going we're gonna to fix it up a little bit. It's really rough around the corner, rough around the edges. Remember, I, I made this film in 72 hours from start to finish. Not easy to do. Not easy to do a feature-length film in 72 hours. So on a cell phone, no less. Uh, I'm not even really sure. I mean, it kind of has a plot. It definitely has a plot. Um, uh, sort of trying to uh, do an, an extension of what we do here on the show, like a fictionalized version of me doing like a YouTube video, like kind of like a mockumentary, schlockumentary. That's what I call it, it's a schlockumentary uh, with some demons and some disturbing content and, you know, again, making it up literally as I went along. Uh, so it was very fun. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, 
And if you want to see that and you don't catch it on the uh, when, when it premieres on Saturday, it'll be premiering in the middle block of the second wrong film debacle. Uh, then you can join the YouTube Casualty Patreon. Actually, I think that's available for all Patreons. Doesn't matter if you're a, um, doesn't matter if you're a Murrogram or a YouTube Casualty. You should be able to watch that. That's kind of like a freebie for everybody. If you are a Patreon, what is the Patreon you ask? What is the Patreon you ask? Time to find out. Peace and hair grease. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that $1.38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.